Thank you for downloading the Sturgeon Bay Community Church podcast. Join us each Sunday at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. at the corner of Georgia Street and 12th Avenue in Sturgeon Bay. For more information about Community Church, be sure to check out our website at sbcommunitychurch.com. Now, sit back with a notebook and a great cup of coffee and experience this week's message. Sturgeon Bay Community Church, transforming community by loving God and others. Hey, uh, I want to start off before we get dive into Mark today, which by the way, I'm so excited that we have gotten to this point where we can, we can dive into Mark. It's going to be a blast. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we had an event here at the church that was just super, and I was reminded this week as I was at the Y, I was listening to some people in the workout room over there uh, talking, and these, the, the one lady was kind of complaining there was nothing for her kids to do. And the other lady was like, oh, you know, there's some people showing the movies there. And she was telling me, just kind of t- t- that was my Wisconsin accent. You like that? So there, uh, and so uh, <laughs> I'm still trying yet. Okay. So there, <laughs> she, was, she was talking about things. And the other lady says, oh, I think there was a, somebody did a movie last week. I think it was the Boys and Girls. And somebody showed Finding Dory. That was really neat. I don't remember who it was. And I said, oh, that was, uh, that was Sturgeon Bay Community Church. And they said that thing that I'm so tired of hearing. The lady goes, who? I said, Sturgeon Bay Community Church, you know, the corner of 12th and Georgia. She goes, oh, the racquetball club? I said, yeah, it's been, it's been a church for 20 years. Did, did you know that? Oh, no, I didn't know that there. And so I explained about the church and what we do. And, and so they thought it was really neat that we did things like that for kids. And I just want to say thank you. Uh, to Kim Thomas, first of all, for taking the lead on that, uh, for, for putting that off for Kids Zone, but also uh, to Gina Grinfeld and Christina Hubing and Kelly Lautenbach. Hey, thank you for doing that. That was a great event. This place was full. And uh, that's the kind of things I really, really love to be able to say thank you about when people just demonstrate good vision and leadership. And that's something that we need to embrace and recognize at Community Church when it takes place. So, Thank you to you ladies, and if any of you know them or see them today, thank you, okay, because they did a great job. So um, um, this is a revelation to you, I know. I, I, I'm Southern. I grew up Southern. So uh, in, part of the tradition that we have in the South is, is storytelling. So if you've read things you know, like, uh, like Samuel Clemens or Mark Twain, uh, people like that, there's a, there's a way in Southern life of remembering life and telling life and sharing life through stories. Um, it's not that it doesn't happen in other areas of the country, but it's kind of distinctly Southern. To us. So for 35 years or so, I grew up hearing my dad's stories. And I know a lot of his life just by his stories. I think with my grandfather, there were many of those that I heard from him. And, and you know, I heard from my granddad, from Hayward, the story of a, a him and his brother Bill. And somebody had borrowed a mule. And because this is, you know, Depression era, poor, you know, swamp southern. And, and they, had, uh, they had borrowed a friend's mule without permission. And his brother Bill lost the mule. And uh, that, that Hayward, my granddad, went and worked an entire summer to pay for another mule uh, so that his brother Bill wouldn't get in any, any more trouble for this. And, and it just taught a lesson about who he was and his character. And then with my dad, I learned the story of the, of the Weavy Knots. Now, Weavy Knot, if you haven't heard of one of these, totally real, totally real creature. And what happens with a Weavy Knot is you need to pay attention to what's around you. Because a Weavy Knot, you see, is a furry critter that lives up in trees. And if, if it sneaks up in you, it'll come down and it'll eat your head. So you got to make sure you're paying attention. But if you turn around and you see it first, what's it do? It swallows itself and it goes away so you're safe. 
So you got to watch out for the weavy knots. The lesson is watch what you're doing, especially if you're a paper boy in Dallas. Uh, you need to watch out for the weavy knot sneaking up behind you. I, I learned about the rat man, a rock man, and what it's like to, to grow up in uh, First Baptist Dallas in the 30s and 40s. And my dad's life came to me in stories. My, my poor wife has had for 20 years has had to hear my stories over and over and over again, and, and I'm seeing it in my kids. They've picked up on that, that whole story. Life is remembered in stories, and, and we're working on it right now about remembering the accuracy of stories so they don't get bigger each time you tell it. But the, the importance of story is that it retains history. It helps remind you of history. And when you spend time around somebody, you hear their stories and you learn who they are and what they're about, and it becomes the fabric of your relationship. For, for 30 years, John Mark followed around and heard and listened to and lived life with Peter. And he heard the stories of Jesus over and over and over again. And the time came when, as the bishop of Alexandria, later on in his life, his, his students, his disciples, his followers were, were like, hey, uh, Mark, you need to write this down. You're not going to be with us forever. You know, in case you haven't noticed, Jesus' followers don't have a real long life expectancy in a lot of parts of the Roman Empire. You need to write this down. And so Mark wrote the first of the Gospels. John Mark... Um, was a young man when he was introduced to Jesus. Earlier today, we were, we were in the Scripture and we were reading there in the, in the book of Luke when, when the preparations for the Passover meal were being made. And, and right in the midst of that, you, you got a glimpse of John Mark's life. John Mark was the son of Mary, not, not Mary Magdalene, not Mary the mother of Jesus, another Mary, common name, you know, kind of the Mike, the John, the, the Bob of its day, the William of its day. Mary was a very wealthy woman whose husband was off the scene by the time these things took place, but, but there in their house, the, the Last Supper took place. <laughs> there in John Mark's house, Peter is released from prison and he goes, he, he, the, the walls are shaken, he's released and, and he goes and he goes to where the apostles had met and they were gathered in the upper room where Jesus had appeared. It was John Mark's house. This is how he got introduced to Jesus was firsthand. It changed his life. And the person that he met first who was a Christ follower was Peter. And Peter was shaken out of prison, and he came there, and John Mark was there to, to, to greet Peter when he was out of prison. And the church gathered there in Mary's house where John Mark was the son. And John Mark went on so many of those early uh, missionary journeys with, with Paul and with his, with, his, with his cousin Barnabas, and later with Silas. And, and he would end his life uh, later on, uh, Paul would end Paul's life with John Mark serving him and helping him there before John Mark would go on. Um, famously to be the Bishop of Alexandria, the, the great library of Alexandria, largely because of the character and the people that Mark surrounded himself with by saying, write this down, keep the record accurate, and by the way, keep the false records around too so we can know falseness when we see it and we can remember it later on. So John Mark plays a huge role in Scripture and in the early church. And friends, he writes the very first gospel. Now, 
written by John Mark uh, sometime between 60 to 66. Some people like to argue 68 AD, but we don't like them. They're, they're, just, they're just being mean. Sometime around 60 to 66, John pins his gospel. Now, and, and, and he pins his gospel in a way, okay, that is short and concise. It, it's written to the Romans, the, the book of Mark was not written to, uh, to, to people in Jerusalem. It wasn't really written to the people, even in Alexandria. It was written to the Roman citizen, the Roman people, largely even in the city of Rome. It has a narrative style that imitates the culture. It's unique in the entire Bible in the way it's delivered um, to, to the reader. Uh, pe- people have said that, that Mark is uh, about as subtle as a lion or a tidal wave or a thunderbolt. Uh, Mark just, boom, jumps right in there. He's not taking a lot of time uh, for, for uh, uh, introduction and pleasantries. And it would be common if somebody <laughs> spent 30 years around Peter, you know, Mr. Foot and Mouth. But for John to have spent that time around Peter, some of that style wears off on this savvy, smart, aggressive, driven young man who from his early uh, uh, life, as, uh, right, right after probably right after his bar mitzvah, that, that he would have been a follower of Jesus. And he got to see, think about this, the resurrected Christ in his own house. What? This is the guy who writes the first gospel. We know it is Mark, and we get to read it today, uh, and often we take it for granted. Sadly, even great leaders like uh, Luther and Augustine and others really, really kind of dished on Mark. They, they kind of played him down. They, they didn't give the respect to Mark that they did to the other Gospels. And I think, I think that's a shame. Um, I think it's unfortunate because what's happened is that we failed to see the neatness of Mark. And here's one of the things that's the neatest. It was the very first Gospel written. There was no pattern. Mark wasn't following anybody else's pattern. He did this first. And what Mark did is, is he put in, in somewhat abbreviated form uh, the life of Jesus. So here's a timeline. Jesus is born sometime around 5 B.C. Uh, five years before the Common Era, before the, the, the Christian Era, uh, Jesus is born right about 3 B.C. He's rolling back into Nazareth. They've been to Egypt for a while. He comes back to Nazareth. Um, and he's raised there as a, uh, as, a, as a son to Joseph, who is a builder carpenter, yes, but also a mason. I'd make that point for you by saying, uh, rabbit show here for just a second, that, 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 that Jesus speaks of illustrations using stones and rocks and the stone the builder rejected on a pretty regular basis, but doesn't talk a lot about wood. So a builder in the ancient world would have done both. So Jesus begins His earthly ministry right around 28 uh, A.D. Um, in, in Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, A.D., in the Common Era. Jesus begins His ministry and right about 31 as we have His death burial and His resurrection. And so at, at that resurrection and, and the appearing is when John Mark is really going to start to realize this is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's going to follow Peter. Uh, he's going to follow the apostles around on the missionary journeys. And then later on in his life, a storied, amazing life. Uh, John Mark, about 66 AD, has penned his first gospel. It has a theme, this gospel of Mark, uh, this, this story that he writes, this, this culmination of Peter's teaching and what he's seen and what he's experienced and what he's understood. And the core theme of Mark goes like this. Let's say it together. Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, 
the Son of God. That's the theme of the book. That's the whole theme. Not sub-theme, not, not layers of themes. Here's Mark right there. Jesus is the Messiah. The guy from Nazareth, He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. That's the theme of the whole book. And friends, every verse, every passage, every parable, every bit of it is like He is just taking a gigantic spotlight on that theme right there. What's chapter 4 about? It's about Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, the Son of God. What do you think the story of this parable is about? It's that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, the Son of God. That's what the book of Mark is about. Subtle as a tidal wave, but that's Mark, and that's what he's doing. It's short for a few reasons that you might want to think about. First of all, it's short because it's first. Anybody own a Model T? Anybody have one of those? No? Okay, here's the cool thing about a Model T. It's really small. It's really simple. And they just keep going, and, and it's the abbreviated form of the car you might buy today. So if you go buy a 2017 Ford, you know, you shouldn't, but if you were to, you would go buy this car, and, and you, would, you would go get in it, and it would function uh, really well. It would be similar to that Model T, right? But it's taken the Model T to a whole new level. You with me? The Gospel of Mark is first. He wasn't imitating anybody else. He didn't go... I wonder how Matthew handled it. You know, let, let, me, let me go see how the, the educated numbers guy wrote a gospel. Now, let, let me go say, hey, Matthew, how did you do? Okay, I'll try to do that. No, no, no. He didn't go to Luke and say, hey, Doc, um, a man of enormous detail, a man of clarity, a man of, of, of actually literary creativity, how did you do the story of Jesus as you experienced it? No, Mark was first. He didn't have anybody else to follow. Mark's the Model T. It is the prototype that the other Gospels are going to go realize, oh, you know, we need to do that. We, we are getting older. We, we need to do it too. That's why it's short. The other reason it's short uh, is the fact that it's, it's, it's Mark, and Mark's an abrupt dude. Mark's a straightforward, no bones about it. Bam, here's the facts. There it is. Deal with it. And the other neat reason is Mark leaves room for you to finish by researching. Have you ever had a professor or a teacher like that? They, they would open up the subject, kind of get it there and say, now, your research paper is on this. I want you to fill in the blanks and tell me more. Who's Harriet Tuttleman? Why, why does she matter uh, in the civil rights movement? What, what is it about her that we need to look at and say, I need to learn from that? There's a message here. Just here's the introduction. You do the rest. That's Mark. That's what Mark is doing. And he's inviting the Christian community to read and go, I want to know more. And to go seek that out and to learn more and to grow. And as the, the teachers and the prophets and the preachers of those early churches brought the light of the gospel, people grew in it. Thank you, Mark, for setting a beautiful standard for others to follow in the footsteps of. Now, John Mark, as he's writing uh, the gospel, is going to be sharing the story or, or the stories that he had heard from Peter and what he had come to understand from so many witnesses who were there. Um, it, the story takes place here in this geography, in the ancient Near East. Now, as Mark is writing, Mark is not writing about his experience in Alexandria or in Rome uh, or, or the time that he probably spent in transit between there and Cyprus and Mesopotamia. Mark is writing about the gospel, and so it has a geographic identity, and this is where it is. There's Jerusalem and, and, and Bethany and Jericho. There's the, the Dead Sea and up the Sea of Galilee with Capernaum and Nazareth uh, and Bethsaida. This whole area is what we're reading about. So geographically, there's some significance we'll revisit uh, in just a few minutes. 
A couple other things as we get ready to read this. I want you to learn a really neat new word. You're going to like this. Vocabulary is fun. Um, Mark does something that nobody else does in Scripture. Dude's creative, okay? Smart. He does this thing where he tells a story. He sets a stage and he speaks into it. And what it does is it causes you to kind of come up over the circumstances that you're living in and get a historic view of what's going on, okay? And have you ever seen those things or heard of those things? They, they travel under the water, right? People get in them and they shoot torpedoes. What are those called? Okay. And what's that little thing that comes up out of the water and goes, and it looks around? What's that called? Okay, say it again. Periscope. Now say periscopic. You're almost there. Okay, periscopic. The second word is pericope. means a story in illustration. So, a periscopic pericope. Your turn. There you go. See how smart you are? A periscopic pericope is what Mark invents. Great guy. And what he does is he's like, here's your life. Here's what's going on. Let me ask you to step up and look over through the course of this story, and it's going to illuminate all that's going on around you. It's called Periscopic Pericope, and John Mark came up with it. Boom! The other thing he does uh, is he has this little technique that he uses in the midst of his writing, and it's weird, and it's very Hebrew. We as Americans do it sometimes, um, but you're familiar with it in some movies you'll watch. There's these movies, and I'm not recommending them necessarily, but so I'm not going to name them, but um, it's kind of like there's, there's a storyline going on, and then all of a sudden the storyline is interrupted by this other story, and then the storyline picks up over here. It's a sandwich. It's an ABA literary technique. Are you familiar with that kind of a thing? Okay, well, the Hebrews did it sometimes. And as Mark is writing, he uses this sandwich technique, this ABA in his writing. And what you need to watch out for is whenever that happens, okay, you need to stop and go, all right, Mark is trying to tell me something that is going to help the story I'm in make more sense. And what's that called? It's a periscopic pericope. Smart dude. But by you, by you being aware of this, when you read the Gospel of Mark, you're going to go, oh, yeah, I know what he's up to. I got this. It's really neat because your awareness is going to be expanded every time this happens. I share that with you because Mark, uh, it writes to the Roman and to the Jewish, and, and, and he uses terminology that would be familiar to all of them. He uses illustrations that are going to be familiar and it helps the story, the gospel, erupt off the page in the ancient world. My goal as your, as your friend here this, of this next couple of months is going to be to help it jump off the page for you because it is an amazing piece of literature. It is beautiful. And I think it's sad that some of our earlier church leaders and other traditions didn't see Mark for what it was. They just they didn't have the knowledge available to them at the time to be able to look at it and go, wow. That's remarkable. You know, the, the Libyan, North African um, uh, authors and writers of the early church, they couldn't understand some of what Mark was doing, so they couldn't appreciate it, you know? So when Augustine is reading it, he doesn't appreciate some of the things about Mark that are stunning, and we get to today. So in a way, you have a leg up on Augustine. How's that for cool? So let's take a look at Mark. Let's begin in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. If you have your Bibles with you, awesome. If you can read it on the screen, then good for you. Um, um, 
The, the one in the back is impossible, so I have to acquiesce to my extreme age and use glasses now. So here we go. Um, Mark chapter 1, verse 1. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare uh, the way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for Him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sin and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and to hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I am not even worthy to stoop down uh, and untie the step straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. One day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. Now, what happens in these verses is a story that's not brand new to you. You've heard this story before. You've heard the story of of John the Baptist and of Jesus, and you've heard it because Mark wrote it down. You've heard it because Matthew and Luke and John wrote it down, and that story has come across the generations, and you can hear it and learn from it, and it illuminates the gospel that John the Baptist had done his ministry. Here's my question for you. Why? Are they sharing this story? Have you ever thought about this? He's a guy who's out there baptizing people in the wilderness. He's not Jesus. He's Jesus' cousin. By the way, it's a pretty small world. A lot of folks are related, you know, so Mark and Barnabas and Jesus and John. So in in, in the midst of all this, why is the story of John there? What's, what's What's the point? What's the why? Well, the point is periscopic pericope. You see, Mark is saying something's happening right here that's going to make all the rest of this make sense. And so he draws our attention to the story of John the Baptist. Now, um, before we go any farther, let me, let me share something with you. The Roman Empire, okay, at the time, they did not have telephones. I know. They didn't even have the telegraph. They didn't have carrier pigeons, uh, they didn't have cars, and they did not have the Internet. All of you born after 2000 are going, what? The Roman Empire, messages got place to place by people taking the message and saying, hey, I have a gospel. I have a good news from here, from there. I want to share this with everybody. And people would turn their attention and they would hear the good news. The other way information got around in the Roman Empire was kind of the, the story mill. Right? People would tell the story. They'd, they'd hear it here, and they'd run into town, and they'd say, hey, I have a story to tell. And they would hear it now, hear it all about it, hear all about it, and they would share their story because they didn't have newspapers, right? It's hard to do that on clay tablets and papyrus and everything, so it didn't happen very often. But the message would get out. One of the stories that really caught the, the, the ear and the attention of people in Rome was the story of Herod and John the Baptist. 
This story was really, really well known, and it was shared because it was a story that was just so warped um, that that everybody remembered it. It had it all. It had the intrigue. It had the it had the betrayal. It had the big figures, and it's the the, the story of how Herod and Herodotus and her daughter, the wicked daughter, requested that the head of John the Baptist be brought on the platter. You remember? Kind of some of these stories are coming back to you. Um, go read it. And so when this happens. Um, when the John the Baptist is brought up, the people in Rome are instantly going to listen because they know about this guy. I'm familiar with this guy. But that's not all. You see, Mark is writing to the people in Rome, and in Rome there are thousands and thousands of Jewish people. Uh, one of the world's major religions at that time was Judaism. Listen, there was no Islam uh, going on. Satan's own little cult religion hadn't started yet. Christianity was in its infancy. So one of the major religions at the time was, of course, the emperor cult worship and the different gods, but Judaism. So Mark is going to be writing to the Jews in Rome. He's going to be writing to the Romans in Rome. And the story that he shares is this periscopic pericope that brings all these examples together for the people to be able to process. So let's kind of take a look. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 1, and we'll probably stop at 8 today. I think that's the time we have. Um, and let's look at some of the things that Mark is doing and some of the things that he's illuminating. Well, first of all, uh, as Mark is writing, he's going to open up with this story, and he's going to say the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. Um, and he will prepare the way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, uh, clear the road for Him. So as Mark is doing this, he's going to use some names, he's going to do some things that, that people are going to hear. The Jewish people at that time are all looking for a Messiah, a Christos, a Messiah who has been prophesied across the Old Testament. He's going to come, and He's going to begin a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. And the Jews are all expecting that this is going to be a, a revolutionary, that this person is going to come, it's going to save them from Rome, and, and their new kingdom will, will jettison Rome and jettison, and it will bring back the glory days of David and Solomon and, and Saul and there in Israel. But that's not the Messiah that God's promised. You see, His kingdom isn't of this world. It's of His kingdom. It has a different value system. And so, as Jesus has come, He is the Messiah, the Son of God. So, Mark, with all of His, of his gentleness and all of his, his dexterity of a writer, says, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. So he's going to, boom, right out in the beginning, he's going to say, here's the truth of the Messiah, the Christ. He's the Son of God, and it's just like Isaiah said what happened. So the people reading it, there's no way you can misunderstand the claim that's being laid out. But he moves directly to Isaiah. In verses 2 through 3, he's actually going to quote Isaiah uh, straight out of the book of Malachi. And by doing so, what he's going to say is, the story that I'm about to share with you and the message you're about to hear, the quote I'm about to give you, should be understood within the context of Isaiah. So let me quote another prophet, Malachi, who speaks of Isaiah. Mark is being utterly brass, and he's, he's quoting Jewish, historical, and iconic patriarchal figures to make his claim that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, just like he claimed. No subtlety. 
Mark goes right in like a lion. And as he does it, people who are familiar, and many of the Romans were too, as, as the Jews, they were familiar with Isaiah. They knew who this was. And so as he shares the story, he begins the story about John the Baptist. This pericope that he's doing, this periscopic pericope is saying, the world that you live in right now, this Roman world of intrigue and, and of the Caesars and of the, the Jewish temple cult that's going over there, which is not the religion of the Lord uh, that He had established. This is something that's become, but it's not God's. And all of this stuff I want you to elevate out of it, and I want you to look back down. I'm going to share with you the story of John the Baptist and how it fits here and what the real message is. And I'm going to start by getting back to a time when it was pure. I'm going to periscope this pericope by starting with Isaiah and the Messiah. You see how Mark has started? And you thought this was just a regular old boring book. No, 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 no. This is huge. What Mark is doing is making major impact. So he starts by quoting uh, from Malachi 3.1, and he says, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming, and clear the road for As this is shared, he begins to show the picture of John the Baptist. Verse 4, This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Two things, wilderness and baptism. Uh, Mark is going to uh, bring those up. He's going he's to periscope us right back to these two things. John was baptizing out in the wilderness. So why, why, why does this matter? Well, first of all, the wilderness is where you went to escape culture. It's where you went to escape a lifestyle or a sin or the things that were happening there in the city that you needed to distance yourself from. You ever been to a point in life where you needed to distance yourself from something? You ever been there? Maybe it was a job and you just said, I, you know, I'm going to have to take a few days off. I'm, I'm just going to, I need to back off. Maybe it's a relationship where you just, you need to take some time, a time out, right? Has, and that's not for married couples, by the way. <laughs> you don't take a time out in your marriage. But, but there's, there's certain times in your life where you just, you just need to step out. In the Jewish world, that was the wilderness. Prophets like Isaiah and Joel and Micah and Ananus and Habakkuk, they came to these certain types of life where they went out into the wilderness and they just separated themselves from what was around them. And that place that John the Baptist was in the wilderness was right over there on the river. Uh, if you can see up there, it's, it's over there to the east of Jerusalem, it's east of Bethany, it's south of Jericho, it's north of the Dead Sea, south of Galilee, it's on the Jordan River in the wilderness of where Jordan is today. And this is where John was doing his ministry. In the wilderness, people would come to separate themselves from things that they were a part of in the city or in life that they needed to bring to an end. Anybody ever overcome an addiction? Any, anybody but me ever come to a point in life when you're like, okay, this is an addiction? It has to stop. It stops here. I'm separating myself from this and moving on. And today is the point where this is the past and this is the future. Most of you in this room have come to a point in your life where you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. 
and you followed Him in believer's baptism. It's a point of saying, I'm making a profession to all that the past was that person. I am dead to that life. I am born again a new life in Jesus Christ, and now I'm a new creation in Him. Baptism was a historical tradition in Judaism where you put the past behind you and you start new. It's a ritual cleansing that represents a rebirth. We still tracking? In the wilderness, what John the baptizer was doing was inviting people to join him there on the banks of the Jordan River. And here's where it gets amazing. You're going to join John the baptizer on the Jordan River in the very place where Naaman had to go and dip himself in the water seven times to be made pure so that that he could be pure and could be healed. It's the very same place. It's the very same place where a guy by the name of Elijah does his ministry and the whirlwind comes and the Lord speaks to him out of the ruach, out of the, the wind, the whirlwind to Elijah. At that place in the wilderness is where John is meeting. It's the same place where Elijah begs God to give him a double portion of the blessing, the ruach, the the breath of God, the Spirit of God that He'd given to His teacher and His mentor, Elijah. So God gives that to Elisha right there as the chariot of fire comes down and takes Elijah up into heaven. Right there at that place, John the Baptist is ministering. And guess what else is about to happen there? The Ruach is going to show up again, the breath of God, the the moving of God, the Spirit. It's going to happen right here again. And what John is doing by being at that place is he's saying, prepare the way. The Messiah is coming. He's coming here, right here in this important place. Come, be baptized. Turn your back on what was before. And like Naaman, let it wash away. Die to that and start new. And people by the droves, church, were coming to that place on the Jordan and joining John the Baptist in that message. The baptism of John was complete immersion, okay? It wasn't a pouring. I'm sorry, he didn't sprinkle. There wasn't a spray bottle. Uh, There wasn't a little special cup. When you came out there, it was raw and real. You're in the Jordan River, not the cleanest river in the world. You come out into the water with him, and you go completely under, and you come completely up with hands up saying, new, I'm new. The past is behind me. It was very public. It was very overt, uh, and everybody knew when you did it. And people from all over Judea and all classes and societies and ethnicities and, and social structures and genders, uh, well, both genders, <laughs> had, had come there to the Jordan to be baptized. That's why it says uh, there in verse 5, all Judea, including the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and to hear John, and they, were, they confessed their sins. He baptized them in the Jordan River. They made public the fact that I am turning my back on this and I'm going forward with Jesus, this, I'm sorry, uh, with a new life, this direction. When Jesus came and in that place, He's baptized. It's demonstration that the days of me being the son of Joseph, the son of Mary, the builder, I'm putting an end to that part of my life. And now begins my public ministry as the son of God that I came here to do. The ministry begins now. Have you come to that point in your life? I wonder, have you, have you gotten there where, where you've realized, listen, I did a lot of stuff when I was a kid, as a child. I did a lot of things, maybe even some ritual things, but now I'm accepting Jesus Christ as the Lord over my life. And it's time to be baptized as a believer in the name of Jesus Christ, confessing with my mouth and believing in my heart to all around me that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
and identifying with a body of Christian believers to say, this is where I belong, this is who I am, and moving forward in the new life as a believer in Jesus Christ. Have you come there yet? You see, that's why believers' baptism is practiced by this church. We believe it's beautiful to dedicate children. It's a beautiful thing to baptize a child or even, even, even a, a 10-year-old or and to recognize that uh, they're, they're, they're understanding the gospel and, they're understand, and they want to identify uh, with their parents. But when a person comes to faith on their own and they understand the gospel and they surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that believer... Being baptized is a beautiful picture. And it's part of the picture that Mark was helping us understand. Let me, let me take it a little further. Um, in these things that Mark is, is illuminating in his, in his pericope here uh, is the fact that baptism was a very common event. Jesus' baptism was not the first, and John was not the first baptizer. Did you know that? As a matter of fact, archaeologists are discovering hundreds and hundreds of these baptismal pools in early church structures, but they're also finding them in ancient Hebrew structures because, you see, ritual cleansing was a demonstration that I am clean, I'm washing off and cleansing myself of something and preparing myself to come before God in the temple, preparing myself to come before the assembly. There, there's a cleansing that was a part of their culture. So, the baptism was a common image, and Mark was, of course, bringing that to light. So the next thing that we see that's interesting um, is that Mark moves into uh, Elijah and John's clothing. Did you, did you notice that, John, that Mark, for whatever reason, tells people how John the Baptist was dressed? Has that ever struck you as a bizarre thing to show up? Why would you mention his clothes? What does this have to do with Jesus? Hey, wait a minute, what's the theme of Mark? Jesus of... We'll go back to it. Okay, only Jerry Barr's got it. Let's go back for everybody else. The theme of Mark is Jesus of Nazareth is... Okay, so what's up with having to talk about how John the Baptist is dressed? Hey, the theme is Jesus is the Messiah. How do you think this points to Jesus' Messiahship? This is so crazy. In the Old Testament is recorded uh, an event, and this thing that happens is there's a guy, and uh, this happens in 2 Kings, uh, the first part of the chapter 1. Um, he's trying to describe to the king who somebody is, and he doesn't want to say his name because he's afraid if he says the name, the king is going to go off in a rage. I told you not to say that name here anymore. And so this guy's going to be like, uh, he's the guy in the wilderness he wears clothes that are made of woven camel hair. He's got the big leather belt. The king goes, Elijah. You know, the king is furious. That guy, I hate hearing about Elijah. But this, this servant, smart, is like, I didn't say his name. You did. You know, keep your sword. I didn't do it. Elijah's clothing as the great prophet who prepares the way, speaks the truth, calls even kings under accountability. John the Baptist dressed as just like Elijah. And when kings hear the message of John the Baptist and of Elijah, they don't like it because it means there's another king coming. Your kingship is illegitimate. Hey, person, you're not on a throne, okay? You're not in charge. God is. The one who sits on the throne of heaven is Jesus Christ. 
And this message is about Jesus Christ. The message of John the Baptist is about Jesus Christ. The message of Elijah and Isaiah and Micah and, and all of these others who spoke was that God is in control and God has a plan. It's all one story. Mark is drawing the parallels from the Old Testament straight into the New. And nobody who's reading Mark in the ancient world is missing this. This is right in their face, and it's a beautiful, a beautiful picture. So the place that we go after that, the, the clothes that draw us back to Isaiah, the baptizing that demonstrates a new life, the location in the wilderness that says, putting this behind me and moving ahead, uh, the, the language of, of Christos and Messiah and Son of God, you just can't miss it. Uh, all of these things are playing together, but that's not all. There's another piece of imagery that Mark is going to draw into this very opening salvo, and it's going to be what John the Baptist had to say. So, excuse me, Mark chapter 1, verse 7. Ah, I can't see it. It says, Someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I am not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. So there's, there's two things John is going to do, or Mark is going to do here. He's going he's to convey this message of these sandals being undone, and he's going to mention again this Ruach, uh, this Numa, this Holy Spirit. He's going to bring both, both of these up. He, okay, and these are both really neat. So Hebrews had some rules when it came to slaves. Now, I, and I've said this a hundred times, I don't mean to beat the, the horse to death. You can't think American slavery, the outrage that existed here in our nation. You got to go back to the Hebrew system, a very, very different structure. If you couldn't pay your debt, okay, if you were a criminal and violated the law, they didn't put you in jails for long periods of time all the time. A lot of times you became a slave, a servant to somebody else to work off your debt, if your husband died and there was nobody to take care of you as a woman in their society, you would become a servant in somebody else's household. The alternative is unspeakable. So a servant in another person's household would become normative. So a Hebrew would have laws you had to follow. And here's one of them. A Hebrew servant, slave, would never, ever have to stoop to the level of feet of taking off the sandals and washing the feet or binding the wounds on the foot of another Hebrew. That would be below you. You don't have to do that. You are at an equal status with them at at least that level. That fitting in your brain real quick? Here comes the periscopic pericope. What's John say he's not even worthy to do? Not even worthy to undo the sandals of Jesus. Wait a minute, you're a Hebrew. You're not even worthy to undo the sandals of another person. John is recognizing how humbled he is before God, before Jesus. As this Messiah, he's not even worthy to undo his sandals. Wow, that kind of humility was a message that Mark was trying to get across. Did anybody else, while we were talking about that, juxtapose that with any other story in the Gospels? What was it? Yeah, that's exactly right, ladies. Jesus washing the disciples' feet, humbling himself, even to why. And, and Peter's like, "No, Lord, you will not wash my feet." You know, and, and Jesus, he's like, "Dude, if I don't wash your feet, you'll have no part of me." He's like, "Then wash all of me, Lord, gracious." What a beautiful picture. 
What, what a perfect example of the humility of the kingdom of God. You see how much Mark is packed into just eight verses so far? Is anybody else impressed with John Mark? <clears throat> He's not even done. John Mark also mentions this, I will baptize you with water, but He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, the Ruach, the Numa of God, the breath of God that's breathed in the lungs that brings humanity away from just the animals and out of the dirt, but being between heaven and earth, mankind stands in the middle with the breath of God in them. And when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, what fills you is the Ruach, the Numa of God, that breath, that animation, that life, that fullness, that image fills you. You are now empowered to serve the way, the way God would call you because the Spirit of God dwells in you, lives in your heart. You our emissary, you are prince, princess, child, son of God. The firstborn among many brethren, that's how Jesus came, remember? He came to be the firstborn among many brethren, you and I being that brethren. What fills us? The Ruach, the Numa, the breath, the Spirit of God. And that's exactly what Jesus baptizes with. John says, I baptize you with water. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The symbol that sets you apart, that distinguishes you is your baptism. The thing that really distinguishes that the baptism has been different and you are a child of God is that you are now filled with the Spirit of God and you begin to demonstrate with a changed life. And what are the fruit? What's the evidence of that Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering, self-control. The gifts the Spirit gives you to serve the church and to edify the saints. You see how amazing this is? And Mark isn't backing off on any of it. Mark is just laying it right out there, and he does it brilliantly in only seven verses so far. Can we read it again? Now that we just go, yeah, sure, why not, Shannon? Now that we've looked at those, I want you to hear it again. I want you to hear Mark again, and I want you to just, just close your eyes and just listen. I want you to hear Mark. Now that you've heard all those things, I want you to listen. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is the voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and to hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist for food. He ate locusts and wild honey. John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater than I am not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes down and settles on Jesus in these next few verses. It says, One day Jesus came down from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. <clears throat> and Jesus came up out of the water. He saw the heavens splitting apart, like, splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. As John closes verse 10, there's a particular animal that descends and sets on Jesus. What's that animal? It's a dove. In the Hebrew tradition, what was the animal that you brought to demonstrate you needed to be at peace with God? <laughs> it was a dove. In our world today, what do we use as a symbol of peace so often? The dove. 
What does God come down in the form of when the Holy Spirit settles on Jesus? What is that? The dove at peace with God. Jesus came to bring peace with God. Now, our worship team is making their way back up here. I want you to join me today in doing something a little different for Community Church. I want you to start to deal with a couple of questions in life. The first of those questions is, have you come to the place in your life where you have surrendered who you are to God? You've believed in your heart that Jesus is Lord. You have confessed with your mouth that God has raised Him the dead. You have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And now, now you're a child of God. Whomsoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. That promise in Scripture is for you. If the Spirit is calling, have you, like Timothy, in front of many witnesses, confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? And have you said, this today is a turning point. That was the past, and now I move forward as the child of God. Have you come to that point in your life yet? You see, that's the point every human being is going to have to answer for someday. Have you surrendered your heart and life to Jesus? Have you made that public in front of a body of believers and said, I am we, we, that group of people who love you, who are just like you, who share that faith with you, want to celebrate with you, and as a cloud of witnesses said, you're ours, family, we. That's what the early church was all about. Have you done that? Not... Not because your parents did it for you when you were a little baby. You didn't know what was going on. But have you made that decision for Jesus? Have you made it public? Have you made it real in your life? The second question is, have you been baptized? Has there come a point in your life where you publicly and to all said, listen, I'm identifying with Jesus Christ. I'm identifying that there's a past and there's a future. And I'm standing right here at this point where to all I'm boldly saying, that is dead, and I am born again, washed of those things in Jesus Christ. All the people of Jerusalem, and it means people of all ethnicities and races and income levels and histories and, and religious background. It came to a point where they said, today is a new beginning. Today I might put, I make public for all. Have you, have you done that? Have you followed Jesus in believer's baptism? Maybe, maybe, I suspect today, There's some people in in this room, people who can hear me right now, or maybe you're out there in video land, and that's great. Thank you for joining us. But I want to ask of you, and I want to ask of you who are here right now. Is there something in your life, a sin, a thing, a behavior, an addiction, a grudge, a thing that you need to move past? It needs to stop here. This needs to be day zero, and tomorrow's day one. You You gotta move on. Put it behind you dead to the past and moving on. Is there something like that in your life right now? What I'm going to ask today is this. I'm, I'm going to ask our elders who are here this morning, would you, would you come forward, uh, maybe with your wives? That might, might be great. Uh, ladies, if you join your husbands, and would you just be right up here for a minute? As we go into a time of prayer and of singing, our, our worship team is going to be singing. Could I encourage you this way? If you need to make one of those three decisions today, would you, would you make that here? Would, would you 
Would you pray with some of the really, really good people? Would you pray with them? Would, I'll, I'll be down here. Would you pray with me? Can we share in this moment together that Jesus needs to be Lord of your life? It's time to answer that knocking. It's time to answer Jesus. Maybe I need to follow in believer's baptism. I, I, need, to get on, I need to get on the record for this. I need to get that going. You know, I'll, Labor Day's coming when we baptize. It'd be great to go ahead and get on the record now. Let, let's set that up. Or maybe just, hey, uh, you know, would you pray with me? I've, I've got this thing in life that it's just got to stop. I've got to I've got to forgive this. I've, I've got to get this right. This addiction's owned me. I've got to let it go. This thing has plagued me. I, I, need to, I need to put it down now. It's, it's time. Time has come. If one of those prayers applies to you, would you allow us all to celebrate with you? Can we be a part of this beautiful picture of growing together as a family? Let me ask us all to stand. As our worship team is going to sing, uh, just, just be in prayer. This is a time with heads bowed, eyes closed. Allow them to sing. Let this be the song of your heart. If you need to do some business with God, though, would you, would you take this time now? The aisle is open. Some really good people would love to pray with you um, and be a part of these decisions in your life if you need to make them today. Go ahead, worship team. Let's, let's just spend this time in prayer. There's nothing worth more I will ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free when my shame is undone your presence Lord Holy Spirit you are welcome here come flood this place and fill the atmosphere your glory God is what our hearts long for to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Father God, we just thank you for the fact that your spirit fills this place. God, we thank you for the fact that the people in this room know you as Savior and as Lord, and that we've gathered here to celebrate you, to accept that Lordship in our life. God, I would just pray that you begin to move mightily and strong in this place. God, we look back to, to John Mark, we see the impact of a strong single mom. We see the impact of, of an apostle like Peter who took John Mark under his wing and we see the example of how John the Baptist was faithfully serving in the wilderness and so many came to follow his example. Lord, we have things to learn. We have ways to be awed. We just ask that you would continue to teach us and to challenge us. And Lord, if there's some folks here uh, who are listening now who have some decisions in their life that just need to get made and today that just wasn't quite the day yet. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to move like a whirlwind in their hearts. 
Lord, I pray that the, the Ruach of your Spirit moves and challenges and brings peoples to point where, where they're ready to serve you in a way that can bring glory and honor to your name and to edify this church. God, we thank you for the truth of your Scripture. We thank you for Mark. What a great, creative young man. Thank you for the example he set. Thank you for the course that he set for so many others and help our minds to be open and to, to be like sponges that are eager to learn as we move through Gospel of Mark, as we learn that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. These things we pray in the name of you, our Lord, our Savior. Amen. You've gathered as a congregation. Now go be the church. Go in peace.